Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood coming back to you again with story time, and we have reached a milestone. Today, we're doing chapters 29 and 30 of Glimmer Vale, first book in the Glimmer Vale Chronicles, and guess what? There's only 30 chapters in the book, so we're going to finish it up today, which means that... Uh, Next week, I gotta figure out what I'm gonna read to you next, huh? Well, that could be uh, could be intriguing figuring that one out. Not to worry, because the second book in the Glivervale Chronicles series is uh, almost done uh, with professional audiobook reading, so you'll only have to deal with my pseudo professional <laughs> reading of shorter stories uh, for a few weeks, and then we'll get back into book two of that. Uh, but hey, without further ado, let's just continue on this. Suffice to say, it's been a... I'm kind of frazzled this week. It's been a <laughs> nutty week, and um, so I'm just doing this recording quickly. Uh, I'll turn it over to Nathan for the rest of the reading, and I hope you enjoy it. Talk to you on the flip side. Chapter 29. Paying Tribute. Eisenhoff rose to a sitting position. He clutched at his wounded leg with his left hand, but grabbed his sword from the ground with his right. Looking up at Raedric with a cruelly triumphant grin, he said, You should have taken my offer. Raedric strained against the force holding him fast. They had come so close. He had long since stopped believing in fairness, but all the same, the injustice of losing this way was too much to take. Eisenhoff pushed himself across the ground using his good foot and drew his sword back. Time to die, he said as he thrust upward with his blade. All at once... The force holding Raedric vanished, and he brought his saber down. The two blades met in the air before his belly, but not before Eisenhoff's sword tip struck home. For a heartbeat, he felt his mail straining, and he knew it was going to fail. Then he twisted his hips and leaned backward. The sword cut a trail upward from his navel to the lower ribs on his left side before the impact of his saber forced it aside. The pain of the wound told him his mail had failed at least partially. But it was not the crushing agony of a death blow, so he counted his blessings. Eisenhoff's eyes went wide with shock at Raedric's sudden movement. He lost his grip on his sword as Raedric's saber struck it, and he collapsed back onto the ground. How? he said weakly. Raedric glanced over to the side and saw the mage lying on the ground, blood spurting from a wound in his neck, and Melanie helping Julian to his feet. You chose your friends poorly, he said. Turning back to Eisenhoff, he moved the edge of his saber to the side of the brigand's neck. Do it, Eisenhoff said through gritted teeth. He almost did. But looking down at the brigand, helpless on the ground, he recalled the screams of the villagers that day, the day he decided to follow Eisenhoff's earlier lead and desert. A very different reason, but the same path. If he killed Eisenhoff now, while he was helpless, how would he be better than what he had run from? Radrick shook his head and stepped back a pace. No. Eisenhoff looked at him with unbelieving eyes. He opened his mouth, 
but Radric cut him off with a boot to the nose. He fell back onto the ground, knocked senseless. See you at your trial. With that, Radric turned away from the defeated brigand and hurried over to Melanie and Julian. Julian was on his feet and standing next to Melanie by the time Radric got to them. But while she stared at Salam as though stricken, he looked over the battlefield. Several of Eisenhoff's surviving men had already fled, those who were able to ride something quickly outdistancing the others. There were not that many of them, maybe a dozen total. He had to hand it to Radric. The gambit with the archers worked beautifully. Truth to tell, he was amazed they were still alive. Although, from the look of things, Salam would not be able to claim that for much longer. Radric nodded to Julian in the same businesslike manner he always affected after a battle, then squeezed Melanie's shoulder briefly before squatting down next to Salam. Did we... Salam said weakly. Radric nodded. Victory is ours. Salam smiled. His cheeks were very pale, and his breath came in shallow rattles. He reached with a trembling hand for his sword, lying off to the side just out of reach. Radric stretched out and moved the sword closer, placing the grip into the palm of Salam's hand. The dying man inhaled deeply and pressed the sword hilt to the center of his chest, over his heart. I have... A sudden fit of coughing interrupted Salam's speech. (coughs) I have no sons, he said finally. No one to pass it on to. He inhaled quickly and pressed the sword handle up to Radric's hands. Use it with honor. Radric's eyes widened and he shook his head. Pushing the sword back down to Salam, he replied, Salam, I can't take. Do not dishonor me. Another fit of coughing racked the stricken swordsman. His strength was fading quickly, but he managed to push the sword back up to Radric. Julian's friend hesitated, then nodded slowly. His hand closed over Salam's on the hilt of the sword, and for a moment, the two men looked at each other in silence. Then Salam smiled again, and he let out a long, rasping breath. His eyes glazed over, and he did not breathe again. Standing next to Julian, Melanie sobbed softly. The funerals took place the next day. By tradition of the Vale, family and close friends of the Fallen cleaned the bodies and dressed them in their holiday best. Then, at first light, they carried the bodies down to the docks and laid them in dinghies made for just such an occasion. For the rest of the morning, acquaintances would come by to pay their respects and offer gifts for the fallen to use in the next life. Constable Mallory drew a visit from just about every person in town. Salam, much fewer. Perhaps it was because he was a transplant and liked to keep to himself. Regardless, as Julian stood next to the dinghies all morning and watched the relative paucity of visitors who came for Salam, irritation grew within him, eventually turning to anger. Friendly or not, Salam had given his life for the people of the Vale. He deserved more recognition than this. By the time Melanie limped down to pay her respects, Julian was about ready to hit someone. But, for some reason, seeing her there, even as bruised and battered as she was, made him feel better. She waited in line to offer flowers to Constable Mallory and say a short prayer, but she did not linger. Until she came to Salam's dinghy. Melanie nodded a greeting to Julian and moved quickly to the dinghy. She crouched down next to it and dropped something inside. When she did not rise after a few minutes, Julian became concerned and stepped over next to her. Crouching down as well, he saw that she was weeping. They crouched there in silence for several minutes. Julian, because he did not know what to say and did not want to intrude on her thoughts. Melanie, for her own reasons. It was she who broke the silence. 
I only spoke with him once, and I was a condescending ass. Julian was tempted to inquire how that was different from any other conversation she had, but thought better of it. That would have been perhaps a bit too harsh under the circumstances. Instead, he reached out and gave her shoulder a gentle squeeze. I didn't know him well, but he was a man of honor. Protecting you was his duty, so he did the right thing. She nodded. I know. That's what makes it so hard. Julian drew a deep breath. I've been fuming all morning about how many more people have been paying respects to Mallory than him. Why was he so less deserving than Mallory, you know? He deserves just as much a tribute from these people, and they're snubbing him. But now I think maybe that's okay. The fact that you're alive and able to carry on, well, that's a better tribute than some trinkets thrown into a boat. Melanie nodded slowly, but didn't say anything. She just reached up, laid her hand atop his, and squeezed it gently. At noon, the official funeral procession, consisting of the mayor, Lyttelton's high priest, and the deceased's families, followed by musicians playing a memorial dirge on pipes and harps, walked from the temple down to the docks. The usual funeral ingredients came next, selected stories from the person's life, words of encouragement for the mourning, reminders to hope in the gods, and look forward to righteousness's rewards in the next life. Julian listened impassively, paying little heed to those words, meaningless as they were. Melanie and Radric stood at his side. She wept again. He stood at attention as though he were still in the army, which Julian supposed was appropriate. After all the words had been said, men hoisted sails onto the dinghies, untied the boats from the dock, and pushed them out into the lake. The light breeze filled the dinghy's sails, carrying them further from the shore. When they were about fifty yards out, Hiram and Rolf, carrying bows, limped to the end of the dock along with Gilroy, who carried a lit torch. The bowmen knocked and held their arrow tips into the torch's flame. Tips afire, the men drew back and sighted in carefully. The loosed arrows rose in a graceful arc, then descended, landing squarely in the center of each dinghy. Flammable material had been strategically placed in each, and when the arrows struck, the flames quickly spread until both dinghies were aflame from bow to stern. The crowd gradually filtered away until only the deceased's closest family and friends remained. Julian, Radric, and Melanie remained even after they had departed, only leaving when the last remnants of the dinghies had sunk beneath the water of the lake. Chapter 30 Home by the Lake The next morning, a knock on their door took Julian and Radric by surprise. You weren't expecting any visitors, were you? asked Radric. Julian shook his head with a shrug, then walked over to the door and pulled it open. Mayor Brimley stood outside in the hallway. I hope I'm not interrupting you, gentlemen. May I come in? Please, replied Julian as he opened the door fully and stepped out of Mayor Brimley's way. Mayor Brimley walked across the room to the window. Looking outside, he spoke as though talking to the town outside. You gentlemen did the people of this town a great service. Turning back to face them, he smiled apologetically. I know our agreement was that I would not act on my knowledge of your desertion from the army if you helped us, that I would let you go about your lives as you see fit. Where was he going with this? Julian began to get a twinge of apprehension in the pit of his stomach. Mayor Brimley continued, But I have a better idea. Radric replied in a tight, angry tone, If you're thinking of reneging on the deal... 
The mayor raised his hands in a placating manner. Not at all, not at all. I just thought maybe you would prefer an alternative. What alternative? Mallory is dead. Fendig. The mayor scowled and muttered a curse under his breath. Then, giving them a direct, serious look, he went on. This town could use a couple good men to take their places. Frankly, I can't think of anyone more qualified than the two of you. That was not what Julian expected to hear. He and Raedric? Constables? The thought was so ludicrous that he almost burst out laughing. Only the mayor's serious tone and demeanor stopped him. How are you going to explain to the kingdom you're putting two deserters on the town payroll as law enforcement? He asked, in lieu of laughter. Because they will ask, you know. Raedric nodded in agreement. We appreciate the offer, but it's too much of a risk. The mayor snorted loudly. The blasted kingdom's near enough forgotten us up here. Most all the trade goes through the southern passes these days, so we're hardly worth noticing it most times. We haven't even seen a tax collector in five years. He chuckled in amusement and shook his head. That's got some in town wondering why I bother collecting the taxes at all. They say I should just give the money back. Why don't you? The mayor looked at Julian like he was daft. I'm not a fool, am I? Someday the kingdom will remember to send a tax collector, and he'll want every penny. Better to have the money set aside. You make our point for us, Radric said. They will return, and you'll have to answer questions. The mayor made a dismissive gesture. The gods alone know how long it will be before that happens, and we can deal with it then if it does. In the meantime, you could have a good life here. And you'd be doing us a service, too. Who knows? When the kingdom does think to come calling, could be your serving here would be grounds enough to forgive your other offenses. He raised one eyebrow. Can't hurt, that's for sure. Think you'll get a better deal somewhere else? Julian had to admit it. Brimley made a good argument. And, truth be told, their plan had always been a bit nebulous beyond putting as much distance as possible between themselves and the war zone. And it was true that they were much more likely to be caught and hanged near a large city than in a flyspeck of a town in the middle of nowhere. He half smiled at those words, which both he and Melanie used not so long ago to describe this place. He had to admit, it had begun to grow on him. What do you think? Julian turned to see Radric looking thoughtfully at him. From the expression on his face, Julian could tell he was mostly sold on the concept. I guess it wouldn't be too horrible to stay here for a while longer. He grinned and clapped Radric on the shoulder. You get to be the deputy, though. Radric rolled his eyes, but returned Julian's grin. Turning back to the mayor, he held out his hand. It looks like you have a deal, Mr. Mayor. The mayor took Radric's hand and shook it, then shook Julian's as well. I'm glad to hear it. Welcome home, gentlemen. Welcome home. Julian liked the sound of that. Julian knocked on Melanie's door with his usual staccato rhythm. She took her time in answering. Naturally. When the door finally swung open, she wore a severe expression, as though she was prepared to lash whomever it was that had disturbed her up one side and down the other. Seeing him, her scowl faded, replaced by something that almost, but not quite, resembled a smile. Good afternoon, Melanie, Julian said with a jaunty grin. She sniffed and turned away, retreating into her sitting room. She left the door open, though, so he took it upon himself to follow her inside. How are you holding up? Melanie shrugged and settled down on her couch. Sitting on the coffee table was a small figurine of a woman carved from a black substance of some sort. 
Julian thought it might be coal, but it reflected the light from her window slightly. What was it? Noticing his gaze, Melanie touched the figurine with her index finger. I found this among Farzel's mage's belongings, she said. Have you ever seen obsidian? He shook his head. It is made when the molten rock from a volcano cools. She looked back at him and rolled her eyes in consternation as she saw the confusion on his face. Don't tell me you've never heard of a volcano. He shook his head again. A mountain that releases smoke and spews out fire? Well, why did she not say that in the first place? He said as much, and she chuckled. Julian, you amaze me sometimes. She patted the figurine again. Anyway, I believe this is the object that controls the transplanar rift in the hills. I have no idea how it works, though. I'm sure you'll figure it out in time. He paused for a moment before adding. I have some news. Oh? Julian grinned and reached into his pocket. As he withdrew his new badge of office, the silver fist holding the dangling scales of justice, Melanie's eyes widened. You've got to be joking. Radric as well? He nodded. She shook her head and stood up, then made a little curtsy in his direction. It seems these yokels truly are desperate. Congratulations, I think. Julian smirked in amusement. Leave it to her to ensure even a compliment held a little barb. Strangely enough, he found he did not mind. Radric and I were hoping you would remain here as well. Melanie snorted. Why on earth would I want to do that? This place is... Not nearly as bad as you've been saying, and you know it. She was silent for a long moment while she sat back down again. Finally, she nodded. Fine, I'll admit there is a certain rustic charm here. That doesn't answer why I should stay. Did you have a destination in mind when you signed on with that caravan, or were you just putting miles behind you? Melanie stiffened, looking at him through narrowed eyes. I don't know what you left behind, and it really doesn't matter. You could work your craft here and no one will get in your way. Hell, he gestured toward the window. Most folks think you're even more of a hero than me. That's not particularly hard to believe. At least she grinned slightly when she said that. Julian could not help but chuckle and nod in response. <laughs> well, think about it at least. I don't doubt we'll need to contract for your help from time to time, and I've already heard a number of people talking about how useful it will be to have a professional mage in town. He stood up. Eisenhoff was right about one thing. If a person needs to hide, there are far worse places than here, but few better. With that, he walked over to the door. Julian. He stopped and looked back at her over his shoulder. It has been... A long time since I've been made to feel welcome anywhere, she said. Or since I've had anyone I can call a friend. She drew in a long breath and looked at him. He was shocked to see that she wore an expression of gratitude. Thank you. I will seriously consider your offer. Julian nodded and left. She was going to stay. He could see it in her eyes. As he descended the stairs towards the tap room, he passed one of the inn's cleaning maids, who stopped and made a quick curtsy. Constable? she said respectfully by way of greeting. Julian blinked, surprised for a heartbeat. Then he smiled and replied, Good afternoon, before continuing on his way. He could feel her eyes on his back as he walked away, as well as the respect, awe almost, contained in her gaze. The reality of his new position hit him, and he shook his head in wonder. He was a respected public figure. Who would have thought? Okay, well, that's the book. Hope you liked it. I enjoyed uh, writing this. I think I told you uh, at the start, 
I wrote this, uh, what, in the most of it in November of 2011, finished up, added a few things in early 2012, and then it got, uh, got everything squared away, got art done, the map inside the book, which you can't see uh, on the audiobook and podcast, obviously, and then that whole thing got squared away in, what, July of 2012, and then uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. At, at first, I wasn't really thinking in terms of a series. Um, it was just something I did because I thought it would be fun. And then I was clanking away on another book, and uh, November came up again with uh, National Novel Writing Month. And I was like, hey, you know, I've got that Glimmer Veil book, and it's wide open for more stories. Well, let's do another one. So I did, and I don't think, uh, actually that year, I think I just wanted to do a bunch of shorter stories for NaNoWriMo and I botched it completely. But sometime later, like the next year I wrote the second one and then I NaNoWriMo'd the, most of the third one in the, the following year and finished it up in the year after that. And then the fourth one, I, I don't remember exactly how it worked out, but I got two more done. The second one published in 2013, two in 2014, uh, Two, two, the next two books, three and four in 2014. Um, and then, oh crap, you know what? I've got the timeline all off. Add an extra year to all those. I did the, no, yeah, not November 2020. Anyway, doesn't matter. The point is, over the next several years, I did uh, the, the five books in the series that exist so far and one short story. Um, there's going to be more books. Uh, in fact, it's been what a year since I put the last one out, uh, almost a year and a half now, so I really should get to the uh, next one in the series. I've just been doing some other things. And, you know, like I told you a couple weeks ago, lately the uh, writing in general has gotten distracted by a whole bunch of different stressors that have been going on, but I've pretty much got that squared away, I think. Um, and I got my Space Navy series that I, that I started that I'm uh, gung-ho to finish here before the end of the year because I've promised a whole bunch of people I have out. And, uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, and then I'll get back to book six of Glimmer Veil, and I guess I'll just do Glimmer Veil, then Space Navy, then Glimmer Veil, then Space Navy, because the whole Space Navy thing is kind of going to be like a Horatio Hornblower kind of following an officer's career kind of thing, um, which I think would be cool. But that's neither here nor there for this particular podcast, and, you know, moving on. So... Yeah, if you did like the book, please um, go uh, tell all your buddies about it. You've heard the whole story now, so if you haven't bought it by now, maybe, you, you know, I don't know if you really want to, but I think you should. Hook a brother up by at least give the, pick up the book now that's done and you know you liked it, or, you know, go leave me a tip or something somewhere. But definitely tell everybody about the podcast, tell everybody about the books, like, subscribe, share, and come back next week. Next week, we'll do a shorter story. I haven't decided which one yet. Um, or maybe I'll start a novella. I've got a couple novellas sitting around that I need to uh, read to you guys. And, and we'll do that for the next few weeks while book two of Glimmer Veil, which is called Outdweller, gets uh, readied up. And then once uh, that's squared away, we'll move on with that. Uh, until then, have fun, but don't do anything I wouldn't do. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. 
You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>